Is that your Bane impression? <laughs> no, I, I can't do a, I can't do any impression. That was kind of a Bane impression. I feel like if we distorted your voice a little bit, you could be yeah. uh, the next Tom Hardy. Do it in post. I want to be Tom Hardy. Yeah, do it in post. Come yeah. Adam. <laughs> I mean, Ryan. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me brush up on my effects work uh, for audio. Right there. Um, You'll be Shane uh, Bane. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. I'm Shane Bane. Shane, Shane Bane. Bane. Um, all right. Welcome to the Arbitrary Analysis Podcast, episode 11. As always, I'm Ryan, and I am joined tonight by Adam Carter. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, fired up about this episode. We got uh, we got some pretty hot topics. Yes, we do. And uh, speaking of being fired up, we have got the returning heart and soul of our podcast, Shane Palmer. <laughs> you mean Shane Payne. Yes, I Shane Payne. Excuse Shane me. Bain is back. Where you been, man? Have you? We, we thought you were dead. I played PT and I and I hid in a in a closet. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. For weeks on end, you were in oh, hiding. God. Yeah, I thought I heard the cries of a baby. <laughs> yeah, so did I, and then it turned out I didn't. So I stood around for another forty-five minutes. <laughs> uh, but uh, all right, well, let's get started. So. First off, um, as I'm sure most people who are tapped into the video game industry are aware, this has been a pretty crazy month as far as the world of video game media goes. Um, so we wanted to start out by addressing that before we move on to the more fun stuff. Um, so there has been a significant ongoing battle for diversification in the video game world over the past few weeks, and I feel like we'd be remiss in not addressing it. Uh, so basically what's happened is that several developers, critics, and commentators have come under the combined fire of the ugly underbelly of the internet for their championing of a more diverse, accepting, and respectful industry and community. Um, it disturbs me to see something I love so much as video games become a battleground filled with such hate and vitriol, all aimed at ideals as unassailably positive as inclusion and thoughtful analysis. Uh, those who preach hegemony and believe that threats, harassment, and hatred are legitimate means of discourse seek to create an echo chamber that precludes growth and community. If diversification yields more fruitful discussion and aids in creative pursuits, then why would we want our hobby and passion to be a place where people feel unsafe and unwanted? Uh, for these reasons, sexism and misanthropy are unacceptable means of interaction, and I hope that all those who've been targeted and affected by this maelstrom of hate continue to offer their valuable opinions and contributions, for I believe as a community that we're truly better for having them. Um, so with that, I want to start with an article that's been written in response to all of this insanity. Uh, the guy who wrote it, his name is, uh, let me pull this up so I don't get it wrong, uh, his name is Dan Golding, and the article he wrote is uh, it's titled The End of Gamers, and he basically posits that 
because the world of gaming has been a male-dominated society for so long, that in the recent years, as women have become a more prominent voice and participant in the world of video games, that the identity of these male gamers as gamers has sort of come under fire and been threatened. So he sort of identifies all this outpouring of hatred as stemming from the fact that, uh, you know, they feel like that their identity is being threatened and that they feel like they have some ownership over the world of video games. So, uh, and really, he says basically that it, nobody owns video games anymore because the culture surrounding it is so diverse now that you can't, you know, identify as like a singular group that owns it. It's owned by everyone. So, I guess I kind of wanted to start by hearing your guys' response to that article in light of the recent events and sort of see what you think. Well, what I got right away when I was reading it is. I feel like this stems immediately from the fact that nowadays the video ma the video game community can can speak its own mind via social media. I mean, look at the boom of commentary on mm -hmm. YouTube, you know. So I think that comes with um, when you have a, a horde of of people speaking their mind about a game or about an idea or whatever on the internet. It spreads so quickly and ultimately that leads to you know con conflicting uh ideals yeah and i feel like that you know like conflict's not inherently bad you know like it's okay to disagree about things like that's sort of the basis of this podcast is that we all have different views on things and that's sort of you know the beauty of discussion is that you you know, have these different ideas that come together to form something unique and interesting, and mm -hmm, yeah. we bring enlightenment to each other through our disagreement. Um, but I think the biggest thing about, like, what you were saying about the internet is just the level of anonymity and the lack of, uh, like, responsibility you have to take for what you put out there in oh, the world. Oh, absolutely. And there's no age limit, <laughs> young or old. No, I'm saying, like, it, it's... You know, my little brother, 10 years old, has an iPad and he can speak his own mind about any subject and not realize the harm that he could bring. Sure. And you can speak your mind, you know, authoritatively and nobody can, you know, come at you for that, you know, so to speak, unless you are choosing to identify yourself, which is what sort of makes all this stuff so reprehensible is that the people who are brave enough to put their identities out there and, you know, who aren't putting out hate are the ones that receive it the most. No, unfortunately. Yeah. What about you, Adam? What do you think? I echo pretty much all of what Shane said and you. I mean, the Internet and the modern age of the Internet is the biggest vehicle for just hate and poison of like anything like this these days. Uh, because like you said, it all it, it is anonymous. Um like you can block as many accounts as you want, but people can just keep creating others and it just becomes endless ciphers for them to spout whatever they want Yeah. without, you know, any, uh, uh, responsibility over it. Yeah. Consequences. Um, what do you guys think about this idea that, uh, Dan Golding puts forth about like the death of the identity of a gamer basically? I think it's, um, I, I think he has a point. Uh, I think it's kind of odd to say that 
because he says like gamer as an identity is broken Mm -hmm. i think it's more that it's just metamorphosed into something else something bigger yeah i'd say that's true it's kind of it's it's weird to take a phrase that is so colloquial at this point Mm -hmm. you know like you just like if you play games you're a gamer you know and to uh, but I think that's kind of his point, is that these terms have become so ingrained that he's looking to redefine them. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, works to your point as well. Like, I feel like you're kind of saying the same things just from different perspectives. Well, I think he, in his article, is taking a darker tone because, you know, everything that's been going on is has been so negative. Yeah. That you kind of can't help but... Uh, you know, Feel continue the conversation in a grim tone. Well, exactly. And you want to come out and make, you know, a strong statement against, you know, these people who are, uh, you know, making just super strong, hateful statements. You know, you want to sort of return that in kind. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Shane? What do you think about the identity as a gamer kind of thing? Well, uh, Shane Payne was, you know, I'm not as intellectual as either of you two, but no, I was kind of confused with that, you know, him saying that there are no more gamers and only players. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I guess I echo what, uh, what Adam was saying. I, I agree with him that it's just gamers has be, they've become something else. And I mean, I wouldn't say that they're no more. It's just, I think like I've done in, you know, inordinate amount of reading the past few days of all of these articles about all of these different events. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that the common thread in them is that the people who are, you know, coming out against women and coming out against the people who are trying to support, you know, feminism and diversification, they are identifying themselves as the true gamers. And a lot of the hatred comes out at, you know, them saying like, well, women don't aren't real gamers, you know, they all well, just play Candy Crush. Isn't that Crush just soccer. someone's defin? That's just someone else's definition of a gamer. Yeah, but I think what Dan is saying, at least my interpretation of it, is that the the term gamer has become sort of irrevocably polluted by this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that we need a new way to classify people because uh, people are claiming ownership over this term of gamer. Ah, so he's trying okay. to make a more generalized approach to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys think that I'm... No, I think you're right on. Yeah. Um, like, for so long, gamer... We've been seeing this, the the meaning behind that term changing, but it wasn't until, you know, within the past month that it finally came to a head where ownership was being called into question. Mm-hmm. And, like, people's personal definitions of the term we're getting the better of the conversation. Yeah, exactly. And, mm, you okay. know, I mean, for a more diverse... Well, I feel like the internet kind of just tends to tip to that direction. I uh, mean, more interest in conflict than <laughs> peace, right? Yeah, well, kind of like you were getting at, I mean, it's it's so easy to thoughtlessly hammer out in just an enraged response to something that you disagree with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to try to, uh, you know, out of the fear of, you know, the the changing times and the changing, you know, medium to just respond as if you have some form of ownership over it. So, 
you know, I think that that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me the idea that you would want to stifle the evolution of a medium. I mean, I, I understand, like when I read these articles, you know, as a straight white male, you know, quote unquote gamer, you know, it's forcing me to sort of reevaluate the way that I think about things. And, you know, unfortunately, like certain things that I'm seeing out there and the way these people are acting, it like it reflects on me. It forces us to reexamine the way that we act and the ways that we sort of reinforce these stereotypes. Um, so I think this idea of sort of redefining it for a new, more diverse age is really appropriate um, because we need to sort of reevaluate the way that we fit into this world. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a call to arms for everyone, including the like <laughs> straight white male um, player player. Yeah. The, they need to be looking at these things more critically and like, look at them honestly. And I know within just the past few days I have been with the games I've been playing. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all the points that like either side is making, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, it does. <laughs> if you watch or read anything about any of this that's going on right now, and you don't think that you need to look closer at the games that you're playing, you're out of your mind. So Anita Sarkeesian is one of the primary recipients of all this hate. And she's the, uh, you know, creator and host of feminist frequency, uh, and the women you know, tropes versus women in video games. And a lot of the games that she brings up in her discussions, are games that I love, like The Witcher or Hitman. And, you know, it's hard for me to think about The Witcher, you know, a game that we t we've talked about a lot on this podcast, in a way that makes me think, well, maybe this game is not, you know, is not 100% correct. Maybe there are things that are wrong or need to be reevaluated with this game. But, like, that's okay. It's okay to exist in a gray area between black and white, you know, like mm. the Witcher is not a terrible game because it has these things in it, but it's also not a great game because it has those things in it. Um, like it's, it's, it's important, like you were saying, Adam, to be able to more closely examine, examine them and not just condemn them or celebrate them out of the gate. And this isn't just with video games either. I mean, in all media, these same things are, you know, I just feel like that video games are particularly retrograde in the way that all mm. this manifests. Like, yeah. I feel like that it's more barbaric or at least more on the surface in this realm. Um, well, I mean, not to attack the masses beliefs or like anyone's beliefs in particular, but like, I feel like because it's so prevalent in gaming because like age does not equal maturity. And so, if you have gamers that are growing up not looking at things critically and not looking at things from different viewpoints, when someone tries to and tries to just like put that opinion out there, they're going to be naturally defensive against that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, that's my instinct when I'm watching the video and she's talking about these things in The Witcher. 
I my first instinct is to think, well, but The Witcher also has some pretty powerful female characters in it. You know, yeah. it's it's understandable that you would want to defend the things that you love, but you have to be able to take a second look at it before you react and think like maybe you know these people do have a point. Maybe it's worth hearing opinions that are different from my own to evolve the way that I think about things. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what makes you a better person is, you know, in a more like complete thoughtful person is to take in as many different perspectives as you can and compare them to your own. Right. And I think that's why as Anita's videos um, are titled, like that's why these things are tropes at this point like that is what they are we've we've accepted them for so long that that's why we don't even think about it when we're playing yeah and that's her whole point is that like you just need to like look at them be aware of the ways in which these things are being presented yeah adam do you have anything you want to add to it i just want to reinforce like regardless of anyone's beliefs or (laughs) what you think about anything attacking someone for their opinion either in person or over the internet or any in in any medium is not okay if you're threatening someone it's it's not right and it's you you should you should be ashamed of yourself yeah absolutely well it's not okay you know just to sort of build on that i guess as a final point is like you know, I think that it's it's okay to disagree. It's okay to hear what Anita Sarkeesian saying and being like, well, maybe I don't totally agree with that, but like you said, it's not okay to react in a, you know, violent, malicious way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with some lighter stuff talking about what we've been playing. Welcome back. Um, well, since you've been gone for so long, Shane, uh, let's hear from you first. What have you been up to? What have you been playing? Ooh, the pressure. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing this little iPhone game, iOS game, called A Dark Room. Now, I had a difficult time trying to describe this game, but I'm going to do my best. I'm doing my best. Let's hear it. And what I got is it's a text-based phone computer game. You can play it on the computer as well. That is infused with a mystery behind the world that you awaken. So what it is that you, there's, like I said, it's only text-based, and you micromanage this village that you wake up in as you progress through the story. You know, you explore for resources, you use resources to bring people to your village, and you use these people to gather more resources and rinse and repeat. And you're doing all of this while you're fighting against beasts, thieves, and also trying to figure out what in the world's going on in this world. <laughs> so, I don't know if that made sense to you guys. But... Kinda. I played a little bit of this today at your yeah. suggestion. Um, yeah. But yeah. You, yeah, you want to help me out a little bit? It's just... It's... I, I'll try. I mean, like you said, it's a really <laughs> strange game. Like, it's... 
it's like a mashup of like a old school text adventure. You don't actually have to type anything in, but it's all yeah. just commands that you have you on just the screen. Click on it. Exactly. And a mixture of that and this sort of new like survival strategy games such as like the Banner Saga um and there's a couple others out there or like it's got a little bit of like Don't Starve in there where mm-hmm. there's yeah. a lot of randomness to it where monsters will attack your village and suddenly you've lost you know yeah, 11 out of your 12 villagers um and mm-hmm. you have to sort of try to recover from that but um, there's like this underlining story that comes randomly almost like there's a woman with you and and she, you know you dream of a compass you you know she cries when you die and you know it takes a toll on her every time you die more that's what it says and you're trying to figure out what is really going on in this world yeah it's very it's very much based around the more you interact with it the more the game sort of divulges itself to you yes like you start out with almost nothing and like your only ability is to get wood and mm-hmm. then like slowly the more resources you get more options pop up in the menus for you so and that and that, that micromanaging is what makes this game addicting yeah well it's it's a really cool combination of like something that you can just pick up and play for 5 minutes but also something that you know keeps kind of nagging at you and making you want exactly. to because when more. your phone you know yeah if your phone's down you want to pick it up and keep going yeah so i was actually pretty impressed with it. i have not gotten far into it at all and it really reminds me of a, a web-based game that came out i don't know about a year ago called candy box are either of you familiar with candy box you you were telling me about this once i forget what it was though it's really bizarre i i it's been a long time since i've messed with it but i believe it was like candybox.com or something like that and it's it starts very similarly to this game, except without as much overt narrative to it. Not that a dark room has much overt narrative, but um, it's literally, you start out with just one option. And the more you interact with this program is kind of what it feels like. The more you probe its edges, the more stuff starts to reveal to you. And it ends up evolving from this really stupid, simple seeming thing at the beginning to this very complex, uh, you know, kind of interesting and addictive game um but a very similar experience to a dark room yeah um but yeah i mean for the for the 99 cents that that cost Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting sort of experiment in game design and it makes you know it combines like so many different genres like who you know i never would have even conceived that there could be a text-based real-time strategy game yeah. You know, because that's what it feels like. Is it feels like an RTS when uh-huh. you're telling your guys to go do this and go do that. And An, an interesting fact about the uh, the two creators of this game is that they never met in person when they collaborated on this. Oh, wow. They just, like, met online? Uh, yeah, they just spoke, you know, via online, I suppose. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it's so mysterious, because they didn't know each other. Maybe. Uh <laughs> But yeah, uh, Adam, have you played it or have you heard of it? No, Shane texted me about it the other day, but I didn't check it out. Um, I, I thought he it didn't was, like Shane Payne's recommendation. I didn't. I thought it was a <laughs> PC game. Okay. I didn't know it was available on iOS because I looked at. it. I was like, "What is all this? Like, there's arrows and then there's text." And... You can play it for free online, actually. Is the PC version free? Yeah, yeah. You just it's like a website, huh. and it, you just play it immediately. 
Well, I have uh, some leftover money on my iTunes, so I'm going to check this out because it sounds, it sounds to me kind of like with the narrative thrown in, um, it sounds kind of like, uh, like a text adventure, like, uh, like I know you guys just described it as that, but like the text adventures by like, I think it's Tin Man Games. Oh, like the, uh, the. Oh, what what do you even call those? They're like choose your own adventures except computer games. Yeah, instead of like a book. That's the word I was looking for. Um it sounds kinda like that with like a strategy game thrown in and It's kinda I'm, like that, except you're not really there's not that much there's not like a wealth of information being thrown at you like there is in one of those. Okay. Yeah. Um, either way, I'm yeah. all for it. It's is it seems like something that you would be into, Adam. I think that you would dig it. Yeah, this is it, it's seriously one of the best games I've played this year. It's really cool, and it like I haven't heard anything about this until you brought it up to me, Shane. Yeah, apparently it came out last year, 2013. Did you just stumble upon it? Yeah, I was going through the the games on the on my iPhone. That's and awesome. I just bought it. I yeah. never stumble upon anything. So you look too much into it. That's how I am with movies. I never stumble upon this, you know, <laughs> this movie. Yeah. So I'm always like, I know when it's coming out. It comes out next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's definitely worth looking into. And I'm I'm interested to play more of it and sort of try to figure out what you know what the deal with it is, like how yeah. far down it goes. It goes it goes to some pretty dark places. That's <laughs> what that's, I've seen so far. So. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm always goes. down for a, a game that I can put on my iPod if I don't want to bring like my 3DS somewhere. Because yeah. I always have my iPod with me, but I mostly play my 3DS at home. I don't really take that anywhere with me. So, yeah. Um, oh, you've yeah. always got your it's, iPod with you. So, yeah, exactly. Um, do you got anything else for us, Shane, or is that the main thing you've been? Oh uh, no, that's the yeah, um yeah, that's the main thing really. I, it's addictive, so I've just been playing that. <laughs> what about you? What have you been playing? Well, um, I am sort of in a weird place right now where I don't have anything that I'm really playing seriously. Uh, I'm sort of in between games, so what I've been doing is, is I've been trying to wrap up old stuff that I haven't gotten around to, um, and I've been sort of reconnecting with my Vita. Oh. Uh, so the main thing I guess I've been playing just recently is I finally got around to completing Thomas Was Alone on the Vita. Um, now, Adam, I know you've played this, right? Yes. Um, and it's, it's really a cool game. It's, it's a 2d, uh, platformer with some pretty light puzzling in it. And the, the concept is, is that you play as computer, like AI programs that have become self-aware and they're literally just like shapes on the screen. You're, uh, you start out as a little rectangle named Thomas and it's narrated by a uh, British narrator the whole way through. And he sort of narrates these uh, different characters' journeys as they, you know, are exploring this computer program and sort of coming to terms with sentience for the first time. Um, what's really neat about it is it kind of acts as an elegant sort of commentary on characterization in games and the way that when you play a game, you know, these characters and these worlds that you're becoming attached to are literally just computer programs. They're not, like, these things don't actually exist, but you still care about them. And this game takes that to the extreme level of, like, these are just shapes. They're, they're blocks, they're squares, they're rectangles that you, by the end of the game, 
are really emotionally connected to. And it sort of, you know, makes the argument that, like, these things aren't real, and then it basically says that doesn't matter. They're still worth caring about because, you know, if you present them in the right way and you add enough care to it, that they're worth, uh, you know, your time and effort. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's... With, take, for instance, the game we were just talking about, The Dark Room. You're literally just reading words. And, I mean, I guess it's like a book, but uh, you, you care about these characters in, in the game. Yeah. The room and, you know, people, you don't, they don't even have names. It's just villagers. And, you know, yeah, you are attached to them. Absolutely. And Thomas is alone. You know, beyond the commentary stuff, it's, it's funny. It's charming as all hell. And it's fun to play. Like, it's a really just elegant game, and the, you know, the controls are spot on. Every character has different abilities. And Adam, you had said this to me when I started playing it. You said it manages to keep this really simple concept totally fresh the whole way through. Yeah. And uh, I was consistently surprised and impressed with the new mechanics that were introduced throughout the game. Yeah, um, and the game knows exactly what it is like the developers it's one of the few indie titles of that kind of platformy puzzly genre that doesn't get absurdly pull your hair pull your hair out hard by the end of it totally i mean even with the puzzles where there's a couple where i had to stop and think but i played through the game pretty much in one sitting without ever getting hung up yeah um and it's just every level, they're either introducing a new character that gives you a new ability or they're presenting a level in a totally new way that forces you to sort of rethink the way you use those mechanics. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great game. I was really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it for me. What about you, Adam? What have you been getting up to? Well, I'm kind of in your position, only far worse off in my case <laughs> um i'm playing two games although i'm not playing either of them uh compulsively i guess um i've been playing two rpgs very similar rpgs uh the first one is that i've been putting the most time into is dragon quest 9 on the, the i'm playing it on the 3ds but it's for the ds and for those who don't know what Dragon Quest is, all two of you, uh, it's a it's a JRPG that started way back on the NES, and it's it's been like the big competitor of uh, SquareSoft's Final Fantasy series. Um, so it's turn based combat, little like anime characters. The artwork is done by the same guy who does the Dragon Ball Z artwork. Um, so it's like um, super old school i played a little bit of it but it's like whereas final fantasy has become this very cinematic sort of scripted experience dragon quest still feels like i'm playing like an 8-bit game yeah and you know it's weird because i've been having more fun with this game than i have with any jrpg in i don't know how long as far as like new jrpgs go um, certainly none of the newer Final Fantasies have even come close to, um, so what's the appealing to me lately? What's the hook in it for you? Cause when I played it, like it, it seemed good. It seemed well made. Um, but sorry, I had a sneeze and it didn't happen. 
Um, it seemed, you know, well-made and like a quality game, but nothing about it really grabbed me. Now, you said you weren't playing it compulsively, but um, I've heard of people getting just inextricably addicted to this game. So what what is the hook to it beyond just being, you know, a well-made old-school RPG? I think its biggest downfall is that the beginning is long and drawn out. The first five hours or so are nothing That's particularly just the special. What's that? That's just that's just the beginning. Five yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably walked around longer than I should have, but um, because you start the game, I think this is the other reason that it's uh not as uh gripping as other JRPGs from the start is because the characters you create your own character. You create a custom character. You can choose between male or female. You can choose their hair. Their, they've got different eyes. All this different stuff that you can uh, change about your character. And so what that does, even though it gives you the customizability to play as someone that you want to play as, the story then relies on the other characters in the game like the npc characters to to be interesting and they're not <laughs> yeah the um, story did not seem particularly compelling to me no it, I mean, it's it was kind of quaint and like cute but right um i don't know for me i guess just with the way final fantasy the final fantasy games are is they're what got me into jrpgs um Back on the PS1, I played Final Fantasy 7 and 8 and 9, and I was hooked. Um, but in recent years, I've even gone back to visit those games, and I don't, I, I don't know, I guess I've grown out of them. But there's something about Dragon Quest in its simplicity and in its, it just seems to have more of an identity unto itself that I can appreciate at a greater level now that I'm older. Like, I, I don't know. When I was younger, I remember playing Dragon Quest VIII, and it was good, but I remember being put off by... It, it's kind of a cheesy game. You know, you're killing slimes, <laughs> and you're killing, like, these pickle monsters and stuff. Yeah. But it, it's cheesy, but, like, now that I'm older, I can just, like, kind of roll with it, and I'm not... <laughs> I don't feel like I'm uncool for, you know, playing this. For killing pickles. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so... Final Fantasy tries so hard to like they they think they have important stories to tell and they don't but they're dark and grim and they're weird and they're flashy and the Dragon Quest games are just more aware of their beginnings and I don't know they just seem more respectful of knowing what they are and what they have to do it seemed like a much more of a mechanic-driven game when I played it than a final. Like Final Fantasy, you know, the mechanics are there, but the, the storyline and the characters and the world seems to be sort of the driving force for those games. Yeah. Uh, and Dragon Quest seemed to be me, like it offset its, you know, the narrative dryness with that sort of, uh, you know, cutesiness that you were talking about. Like that breathed the life and charm into it while the mechanics sort of made up the bulk of the experience. Right. Um, is it, is it pretty deep? Like, can you customize your characters and, uh, like, you know, just mechanically speaking, like the leveling and all that? 
Yeah, once you get through the introductory uh, first few hours, you get the ability to uh, create an entire party of characters consisting of four people. And they're all completely customizable, um, not just in their uh, physical appearance, but you can give them different classes. And you start out with, I think, like six classes. You know, you've got your typical, like, priest who heals your characters you've got your mage you've got your warrior and your uh, uh thief character um but even as you play the game you can find side quests that unlock other classes and they each have their own skill trees so every time you level up you earn points and as you put points into one of the classes like five or six different skill trees they'll unlock new moves or new spells um what hooks me about that system is that you can earn like if i have a thief character and i hit like level 20 and i i just want some quick points to get to the next uh like skill in whatever skill tree i'm leveling up you can go to this guy to change your class to something else and you start in the new class at level one so as you level up that class you can keep earning skill points but you don't have to use those skill points for that specific class you can save them and change back and forth and divide the points up that way that's kind of cool i mean it seems like a much more you know, because I was always surprised because I grew up playing Western RPGs, and when I started exploring more of the, you know, JRPGs, uh, I was always surprised at how little autonomy you had in like leveling up your characters. Yeah. Um, like you know, Final Fantasy VII, when you you can change out the materia and stuff, but the character levels up on a linear path. Yeah. Um. So that sounds like it's kind of you know a nice change in that you can really build a character however you want to. For sure. I mean, with my main character, I I started the game using a sword. Um, but when I switched my class to a thief with that character, I started putting points into the the knife category, so she can flip flop back and forth and still deal out decent damage. Um, it's just little things like that that you know, you don't feel like you're wasting points in a category because there's always more points to get. I like that. I, I always get uptight if I feel like I'm, you know, putting myself into a corner with something you have to or pick I'm screwed up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what's the, uh, what's the other RPG you've been playing? The other one is an, it, it's a PS2 game. It's called Rogue Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Oh I remember that game. I've, have you guys ever played it? I've always wanted to because I, I played like, a little bit back in the day i like space pirates yeah space pirates is awesome i love sci-fi rpgs um like i love xeno saga i love the fantasy star games um just something about a sci-fi setting in an rpg i don't know i love it mm. um but rogue galaxy is uh are they both level five they're both level five yes um supposedly when rogue galaxy came out level five intended it to be a competitor against um like alongside dragon quest and final fantasy 
but it just didn't receive uh, the consumer acclaim that it needed to. Uh, it didn't sell very well, even though the, critically it was very well received. Well, the cover of that game, I mean, it's like a like a literal pirate ship like floating through How space. How does that not sell you, well, Ryan? <laughs> that sold me. I, I, I remember walking to GameStop and, oh, I'm picking that up. Well, I it <laughs> don't get me wrong. It sells me on it, too, but I feel like the average consumer would look at it and be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. I mean, oh, I think that's the same reason, like, there. we don't see a new Skies of Arcadia game around mm-hmm. these days. So, uh, how is it? Is it does will it live up to Shane and mine lofty expectations? I think it will. I mean, there there's <sighs> where to begin with this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's an odd game. It, it it is essentially a hybrid of like the best pieces of Final Fantasy and the best pieces of Dragon Quest. And you'd think like you take the best of both those things and you'd have just like the ultimate RPG, but you kind of get <laughs> a very good RPG. It's not Isn't bad. It, it's not even mediocre, but it's not spectacular. Isn't okay. it like a hack and slash combat system? Yeah. And that's the thing that confused me the most about the game. Um, it's very much like the star ocean series. I don't know if you guys have ever played star ocean. No, no. Um, you take control of one character out of your entire party and you can switch between which character you're controlling. The, the, the thing that puzzles me about the combat system is since you only control one character, but you can switch between the characters at any point, um, you would think that you would have just, you know, you've got complete control over the battlefield at any given time. But the combat is so fast paced and you can take damage so fast that they've implemented this system where if you or one of your party members becomes like injured to a point where their their health is becoming critical, you'll get a prompt that pops up in like the middle of the screen that's like uh, you can hit one of the triggers and one of you, the characters that you don't control will use a potion to heal you or whatever character is wounded. Can you, like, pause and play it at all, or is it all real you time? Can. You can pause and play. And that's why it's so weird that they give you these, like, quick time prompts. Because they're, they're really distracting, and they're extraordinarily unnecessary. It sounds kind of like uh, your favorite game ever, Adam, Dragon Age Origins. Well, Dragon Age Origins is more pause and play than this is. Okay. Um, I, Dragon Age Origins was, in my opinion, made with the intent to be played more like a strategy game. Yeah, definitely. Um, this, there's too much going on in combat to truly play pause and play because you've got to actively be. Uh, like hitting the square button to attack with your character. Oh, yeah. But you can pause to, like, scroll over to a different character to say, like, you need to use this skill. What's clever about it, though, is, like, when you use a skill with a character, like, one of the first skills you learn is, uh, it's, like, shocking strike or something. And instead of just going into an animation and using one attack with your character, you see an animation that like 
invokes a lightning spell into your sword. And then a bar appears in the upper right-hand corner. And every time you swing your sword at that point, the bar drains. And so you have this increased amount of damage, elemental damage, for as long as that bar is up there. And that goes for your other playable characters as well. You know, I really liked playing it when I did a few years ago. Yeah, you played a little bit, bit of it. What did you think? Oh, no, it was many years ago, so I don't I don't remember. I remember enjoying it, though. I mean, I remember enjoying it much more than any other, like, since it wasn't turn-based, I liked the hack and slash. Is, yeah. I think, I think that sold me more, especially since I was younger. Is the story good? Like, the characters and all that stuff? The story is... <laughs> It's essentially Star Wars A New Hope. <laughs> I'm down with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that. It gets, uh, I guess it's gotten a lot of criti- criticism for having kind of flat and bland characters. Okay. And I can see that, but I don't know. The sci-fi setting does more to offset that for me than, like, you know, I, I don't I don't mind as much if the setting is interesting, I guess. Well, kind of like you were saying about Dragon Quest having more of a sense of identity to it. Like, this game looks like it has a pretty, you know, uh, distinct identity. I mean, I haven't played it, but it just based on the cover and sort of the whole feel of what that game looks like, it yeah. seems like it would have, you know, more personality than most. To me, I think the best way I could describe it, it's, it's very much um, kind of like Star Ocean meets uh, Final Fantasy XII in particular. Okay, I, I like Final Fantasy XII. I know that's not one of the more loved Final <laughs> Fantasies, but... Um, well, I mean, again, that's a game that gets compared to Star Wars all the time. Yeah, so. I wasn't really into the story of that game, but I li- I thought, back to that free freedom with the leveling system. Yeah, this has that too. Um, yeah. It, it, when you open up the leveling system... At first, I was taken aback at how similar it looks like the uh, Final Fantasy XII system. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, if you dig twelve, I would check out Rogue Galaxy. Were you it's playing ch- on the PlayStation 2 or yeah, it digitally I've got my somewhere? PS2 out. No, I was at a retro gaming store a few days ago. Um, and I saw it. I was like, I've been curious about this for a while. And it was only 20 bucks. So. Okay. I miss my PS2, so I'd, I wouldn't mind dusting it off. Especially if, if they had another one, I would definitely purchase this game. For sure. Again. I, I I don't think it's too hard to find. No, no. I don't think it's no. super rare or anything. I mean, it's probably not the easiest game to find, but you could find it if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, did you have anything else for us, Adam, or is that everything you've been up to? No, that's all I've been up to. I'm just, you know... I'm not playing either of them compulsively, and the fact that they're two, like, 60-hour RPGs is not <laughs> helping my case. Yeah. So. Waiting on we'll Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's where I'm at. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dive into
Welcome back. Um, so, a game that has been very much sort of the uh, flavor du jour lately is... It's called... It's, it's, it's Once again, it's kind of a hard game to describe because its genesis is very strange. Um, so, during Gamescom uh, a few weeks back, on the PlayStation Network, suddenly a mysterious game appeared for free called... P-T, as in the letter P and the letter T. Um, Nobody knew what it was. There was no announcement at Gamescom that tied into it. Um, And when people downloaded it, it was this horror first-person kind of survival horror game, but it was like a demo, and it was very non-interactive. And it came out that P-T stood for Playable Teaser. So it's basically just a really interesting and innovative way of marketing for a new game. Um, Now, the game was designed to be intentionally obscure, and it was supposed to take people, like, weeks to sort of unlock all the secrets of PT. However, within 24 hours of it being posted, somebody was able to beat the game and got to the reveal. Uh, The reveal is that it was a playable teaser trailer for the new Silent Hill, that I guess is going to be called Silent Hills, um, helmed by Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear fame and the film director Guillermo del Toro. Um, Now, as far as I know, Guillermo del Toro has never worked on a game before, but he has been interested in working on games for a long time. Isn't that correct? I believe so. Yeah, because there was something where he was going to make a game and it got canceled. Um, So he and Kojima are teaming up to make the new Silent Hill. Uh, so I knew this was the demo for Silent Hill going into it. I wish that I didn't. Were you guys both aware of it? Yes. Okay. Uh, 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 just to comment on this real quick, like, you, after it was, after whoever it was found out what it was about, mm-hmm. you couldn't go on the internet without getting it spoiled and i think it's weird that the internet works that way like some things are so taboo to talk about but then this is like oh i know know what you mean like like a game spoiler like a narrative spoiler is a big no-no yeah like if you know kotaku had a post revealing the end of bioshock infinite (laughs) yeah i mean especially when they you know they've stated that they intended this to take months to uh be revealed yeah, yeah. It's um, kind of hard in the world of today. For yeah, sure. totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, Shane, you you were aware that it was Silent Hill when you played it, right? I was, yeah. Okay. I imagine that this, you know, it's sort of like being uh, like watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time and hearing Darth Vader say that he's Luke's father. Like, shit would just blow your mind. Well, way to go, Ryan. I didn't... I actually, you know, that. If, even if I didn't know it was a Silent Hill game and the reveal happened... And I told you this when I finished it. I would be upset. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's less about the reveal being that it's Silent Hill and uh-huh. more about downloading this mysterious demo that is such a weird experience mm-hmm. and not yeah. knowing what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like watching the tape from the ring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like having no idea what this correlates to, but it like being this terrifying thing, you know, yeah. if you're a normal person. It's not even a thing. It's an experience. Yeah. Um, so I played this a few days ago in broad daylight for the first time, and I thought it was horrifically terrifying. 
um, in broad daylight, I was by myself and I was still like jumping and squealing. Uh, I was having a hard time with it. Adam, what was your, uh, what was your experience with it? I played it early in the morning, uh, in my basement with the lights off. I have a very dark basement. I had my headset on and it was very atmospheric, but I was never terrified. Yeah. I jumped like once, but that was it. Well, you clearly have, uh, you're made of stronger stuff than I am. Um, <laughs> Shane, you played this for the first time with me today. Yeah. Uh, and I was, and I'm right there with you. This is one of the most terrifying <laughs> games that I've ever played. I guess we should give a little background on, you know, what the game is actually like when you play it. Should we? Yeah. Okay. I guess, you know... <laughs> Sorry for that. Well, it kind of made me pause. I was like, how are we going to talk about this game if we don't? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm sorry. I guess I then... I, mean, I don't want to spoil like, I'm, gl- I'm glad I had no idea well, what this game was when I walked into it. We don't have to talk too much about like the actual, you know, <laughs> like events that happen in it, but I think just a description of all right, all right. the I'm setting. Sorry. Yeah, you guys continue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what it is, is you start out in a room, and the door opens, You it's from a first-person perspective, and it's all very, you know, it reminds me of Outlast or Amnesia, like when you walk, the camera moves, like your head bobbing when you walk, like it's it's meant to simulate, you know, realistic interaction as like a human being walking through a room. Um, so you open the door, and you're in this hallway in this seemingly sort of abandoned house, with there's like trash strewn about and everything just is sort of in disarray. Um, and as you start walking, there's a radio playing, giving this news story about a man who murdered his family. Um, and you walk through the hallway and you take a turn into the entryway. And then you keep walking forward. You walk down the stairs to another door. And when you walk through that door, it starts you back at the beginning of the hallway again. And every time you walk through this hallway, you make a loop. It just starts you right back at the beginning. And each time you go through the loop, things start getting weirder and weirder and more bizarre things start to happen. Um, so I guess, first of all, what do you guys think about this as a marketing stunt? Like, as a way of revealing a new game? Unique, really. I've never seen anything quite like it. And what I also like about it is that I like that they're intending to not hold anyone's hand. Like, they had this idea, they made it, and they also made sure that the player would get through it with, you know, it would be a challenge to get through it. Mm-hmm. Just as if you're the character, you know, in hell or whatever, you know. Even, you know, and that's the way they marketed it, that, you know, not even telling anyone that it's there. You just stumble upon it. It's interesting that it's it's very non interactive so to speak mm-hmm. like you can't click on anything or interact with anything it's it's sort of like a it's the closest thing to a haunted house video game that i've ever played yeah. um, where you are literally just walking through the hallway and you can you know you can zoom in to examine things but other than that there's no real interaction with anything mm-hmm. and i've seen some criticism about that uh but before we get to that adam what do you think about it as as a way to reveal a game uh, well, I mean, as a reveal, it's good. Uh, going back to them 
intending it to take months to be solved. I think uh, they said like a week. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. With in this day and age of like people playing games on Twitch and just how people are about games, you would have had to make this just so much more obscure than they did mm-hmm. to have it actually last as long as they wanted it to. Yeah. And if it was, well, I mean, that's for bo- a certain group of people. Like, I don't follow Twitch. I don't watch commentary. I wouldn't know. If Ryan wasn't there to give me just the slightest hints, it would have taken me weeks to get through. Well, sure, sure, but, I mean, for me, like, that was the downside of the game is that I did not actually complete the game myself. I got to the ending puzzle, and after messing around with it on my own for half an hour, I started looking up guides on mm. what other people have done to get through it and i uh, still well, the very last it. puzzle is a little well know. nobody seems right. to be conclusive about how the final puzzle is solved i think that's the biggest problem with it well and calling it a puzzle is even a stretch yeah you know it's really you just sort of walk around and interact you know quote unquote interact zoom in on things until certain trigger events happen but if you didn't have a guide telling you what those events were, you would never know. So uh, I, I think that like as a game, like as a video game, I don't think it's very good. But as an experience and as this sort of marketing stunt, I think it's sort of, you know, like when the Dark Knight came out, they had that uh, augmented reality game. Yeah. Where like the you'd call these phone numbers in real life on your phone and the Joker would give you instructions to like do things. And it was all, you know, leading up to this big thing. And the portal, when portal two came out, they did that augmented reality game where like people hacked the code of a trailer for portal or for something. And it, or the update, I don't even remember, but it was something crazy where people had to hack the code for something and they found hints of this augmented reality game. I think that's what they were intending this for it to have been this sort of collective experience of solving this puzzle i i guess i agree with that i just i disagree with creating an atmosphere as well as they did and then all that atmosphere just went out the window for me when while i was just walking around waiting for the trigger events um i don't know yeah shane you seem to be the one that's the most pumped up about this game what, what do you think uh, well i is i just admire that they stuck with their ideas to be honest i mean like they said you know the player's not going to know anything we're not going to tell them anything and you're just going to have to figure it out as if you're that person if i woke up in a room and just had to walk in this loop of a hallway i would have no idea what i'm doing or what i'm supposed to do it the, so the experience it really yeah. really i mean does it like you said maybe it doesn't work as a video game but as a marketing plea, it's, I think it's one of the best. Yeah, well, and the atmosphere, I mean, you know, if you ignore the fact that there's like a final puzzle to it, there's sort of a distinct ending to the game where there is. it boots you back to the main menu. Um, it's pretty awesome all the way through. You know, there's a couple of obscure little things you have to do to progress, but for the most part, you could figure it out just by stumbling around. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, the atmosphere and the scares, like, one of the things that came up for me was Outlast, because that's the most recent similar type of horror game that's been released. 
Mm-hmm. And we said this, or I said this on a previous podcast where we discussed Outlast. Outlast re- revolves around like the false threat of danger. You yeah. know, like w- once you get killed or once you die and you just respawn, that sort of sucks me, sucks the tension out of the experience for me. Um, mm-hmm. But in this, you know, there's no fail state in PT. You can't die. You just continue walking just through this hallway. <laughs> exactly. And like, while some people might think that like, well, you can't die, so it's not as tense, but it is because it forces you to do things that you don't want to do. Like when you turn the hallway yeah. and you see a figure standing there and then the lights go out and you know the only way to progress is to go through to that door, the last thing you want to do is walk down there. And you're not worried about like, your reaction time is as far as like avoiding, you know, there's no gamey elements to just the experience of playing it. So all you have is just that atmosphere and sort of sense of dread. It's like watching a movie, except you're the one that's being forced to experience it. Exactly. And forced, you know, that's good. I, I like that, that verb, because if you're going in this loop, you, you, uh, mentally you, you must think I must be, paying attention to whatever's in this hallway and i think that kind of forces the player to be looking around well they make the play space small enough that you know it's not like you're in this big open world where you have to find all these obscure mm-hmm. things you're in a very small contained environment so it's not it's, like the entire house exactly it's feasible that you could find all these secrets mm-hmm. and uh besides the lab you know yeah besides the stupid thing at the end um <laughs> But uh, what about you, Adam? Do you have a retort? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess it, it just it proved to me that um, I guess I'm jaded as far as like horror games go. Um, like I said, the atmosphere is good. But like you said, when you turn the corner and there's a figure standing there, and then they disappear and like you know that to keep going you have to walk through that area mm-hmm. once you've walked through this loop like four or five times you know by then that like all right something weird is going to happen and you're going to have to just deal with it if you want to keep playing and for me even though it was atmospheric it became very just like all right you know something's gonna happen and whatever there there is no threat Hmm. and i guess i always i always fear that something's gonna happen and you know i thought it was random on on when things happened some of it is yeah yeah um the big events are not but there are small (laughs) events that are like procedurally generated um but i i would say that it's a more filmic experience than most horror games in that, like, when you watch a movie, you know that there's no real threat. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you watch a Tell horror something's movie... something's gonna happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's sort of, you know, most horror movies are fairly generic in that they stick to genre tropes. So, you, you know, the, the scares are sort of projected. But at the same time, in PT, by allowing you to control the character without necessarily falling back on, like, typical gameplay tropes, it's this sort of weird marriage of the two where you know something's going to happen but you're the one that willfully has to like allow it to happen you have Mm -hmm. to progress to make that 
you know, jump scare appear and you know that. And somehow for me, that, that made attention. it, exactly. You know, that made it more intense for me. Cause you're the one who's walking. You're the one who's pushing that thumbstick up. Exactly. I don't know. I guess like as far as movies go for me, movies that I find creepy, um, or like if something happens to a character in a movie, it's because that I get creeped out or, I'm I'm scared for a character it's because I've become attached to that character and this game while you're playing it you're just some nameless faceless person I kind of um I disagree I think that it did a really good job at saying that you are this person this person isn't nameless this person is you up until the end well I suppose um there's just nothing to to bounce off in the game like bounce emotion off so it's like all you have is an environment mm-hmm. and, and you. even though it's a good environment you're just i don't know i know what you mean like there's not you know you're not part of it is because it's so short i mean you can beat it if you know what you're doing in probably 30 minutes yeah um and there's not, I mean, there's there's sort of an incidental narrative, but there's not an overt narrative or characters of any kind. Um, but it, you know, like coming back to the haunted house thing, um, like that's what it made me think of the most was a haunted house, just where you're walking through these sort of, yes. you know, vignettes and everything. And like, I don't know, it's been years since I've been in a haunted house. Um, and I think that they range from, you know, crappy to awesome, but uh, (laughs) I remember being really freaked out by them because, you know, it's, it's like walking through a horror movie. You never know, you know, like you're and you're being forced to experience it yourself. And I felt like that PT was just sort of a simulation of that, you know, like I don't think it ever intended to be a narrative experience, so to speak. And there's a little bit of narrative there for you to pick up on if you look at all the clues and... Mm-hmm. And the radio. Yeah, and listen to the radio, but nothing that is really all that important to understanding, you know, the way the game works. Yeah, I mean, I guess just as far as, like, scares go, because, I mean, I, when I heard about it, it was all over the internet being touted as the scariest game that anyone in the entire world has ever played. Mm-hmm. They damn right. So... <laughs> You know, with everything that comes out that they say that about, I went in with very high expectations, and I've not gotten that effect from anything yet. Um, like the last scariest games I played was like Doom Three when I was thirteen, and uh, the first time I played Condemned, I, I don't know how old I was, probably sixteen or seventeen. Um, and that was very particular because the person I was over at a friend's house and they had me playing through one particular level. Well, uh, it also helps though, probably with those games, I would assume that you, you weren't looking on the internet and there, you know, the internet didn't blow up. Sure. Things. So you didn't have that expectation um, going in. Yeah. I still didn't know what PT was going to have me do. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I don't know. I was still, like I said, I was p- pleased with the environment and I was happy that they only 
have like one or two jump scares in the whole game because nothing is worse to me than jump scares at this point. Jump scares and gross out gore are cliches I can do without at this point. They're not, they don't affect me as well as a good atmosphere does. Yeah. So while I was creeped out by the atmosphere, the things that other people seem to have found shocking in the game, I did not find as shocking. I think that as far as like horror in games go, I think that this was a lot weirder than most of them. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot more like bizarre. I mean, this is, I'm sure Guillermo del Toro's hand in it, but there's a lot more bizarre imagery in this game than in most games. Well, <clears throat> going back to jump scares though, like I, I'm pretty sure I'm making a far leap here, but when the game like this is trying to make you feel like you're in this this experience, if a door was banging really fast, that could be considered a jump scare, but in real life, that would be, you know, horrifying, I would think. You know, I mean, it's a huge leap, I know, but this game is making me feel like I'm in there. So Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it comes down to personal, um, yeah. like, preference and feelings towards it. Uh, like, you know, some people are going to be more or less prone to things like that. And I'm sure in real life, sure. I would be more creeped out, but like in real life, if you were stuck uh, in this situation in real life and you <laughs> were scared, bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Adam's just, nah, whatever. I'll just keep walking. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the difference between like that is the difference between a game and real life. Just like it's the difference between a movie and real life. Well, um, certainly, like there is no threat when you're playing this game. I mean, it is still a video game. Oh, yeah. you guys are talking about. Uh, but I also, <laughs> you know, this might be a stretch too. But I also think that's why um, a lot of found footage movies don't do anything for me. Like oh, yeah. everybody was terrified of the Blair Witch Project and I watched that movie and I I strongly dislike it. But again, it's from that expectation of being terrified. It is. People but said, it's You're also... gonna be terrified. Uh okay, I'm gonna go in with that expectation. But found footage is the same concept as like this kind of game and the fact that it's like first person and so you're supposed to identify as the one who's experiencing these things firsthand. Yeah. Mm-hmm where there's other found footage movies like The Bay and Cloverfield that I think, even though they're not outright horror in the same way that like Blair Witch Project is or this game is, they're creating a tense atmosphere but doing different things with the genre that is much more effective, in my opinion. Well, these, I mean, this is... I feel like PT is just the latest in this evolution from, you know, what's sort of started with amnesia and yeah. uh, what slender man and outlast. Um, like, I feel like the games are just sort of following film with the advent of the found footage stuff. Um, and then games have the added benefit of, you know, being literally interactive and you literally yeah. are experiencing these things, you know, simulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for me it was just it was a combination of the imagery and you know, it was just unlike anything I'd ever really seen in a game before. Um and it sort of plays with game 
tropes in ways that I thought were interesting, like that you're continuously trying to make progress, but you're constantly being reset. Like it, it used that sort of your instincts against you in a video game. Yeah. Um, like your instinct is always to push forward, but you know that the more you push forward, the weirder and weirder it's going it, to get. It's very true, because when I was playing, I turned to you and I said, can I just stop? And I said, absolutely not, Shane. Yeah. You got to suck it up. Uh, <laughs> I became a man. That's today. so surprising to me. Like, I'm glad that you said that because I've seen a lot of people talk on the internet having the same reactions. Like, they would get 10 minutes in and they didn't think that they could push further. And it's I, a lot because different. Because of that unknown of what's going to happen. Sure. But it's just so different hearing like some person on the internet say that uh-huh. and then hearing someone that I know and have conversed with regularly say it. So. You're just too badass for this game, Adam. I know. No, I don't <laughs> think that's it, but okay. <laughs> I thought I was the badass. I think I'm just more. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just. I'm just jaded. Yeah. I don't know. As far as you sit in that goes, dark basement watching horror movies too much. I do watch a lot of horror movies these days. Yeah. Um, the thing that disappoints me the most about this is that the main game is not supposed to be anything like it. Yeah. Really? Did they, did they say that officially? I think so. I mean, that's you the know, impression I ta- I I've I take gotten. back my, my, my immature to you. Oh, geez, that was loud. To you. <laughs> oh, I, did you I, think I, I was... I, no, because you said the only thing I was disappointed, I was like, disappointed. Oh. <laughs> I was like, disappointed about this. But then, yes, uh, that is very upsetting that there's nothing like... That it's not going to supposedly be like this. Yeah, although Kojima said that he came out and said, I'm assuming jokingly, that they're going to package the game with an extra pair of underwear because it's going to make you shit your pants. Well, (laughs) Um, if if it's not like this, then no, it won't. (laughs) And especially, I hate that they show the actor's face. I hate that. uh, Yeah, Norman Reedus at the end. Even I don't care if it's him or just a random generated character. I like being face. I like I like it being me, you know. It adds that intimacy for me. I think that comes down to what you're saying, uh, Adam. You know, personal preference. Yeah, I, but if I, you're, I, yeah, I think it would be weird if you were. They'd have. If you're not going to give me a face in the game, then you can't give that character a voice, and I think that detracts because it's weird sure. to me if you have no face, but they do give the character a voice. That, yeah, that's probably why they're not making but, the game like this. This right, exactly. Easier, which is upsetting because then it would be one of its kind. But I think if they, you know, I mean, I guess it's still up in the air whether it's going to be first person or not, but I imagine playing as Norman Reedus, it will not be. But I and think none of the other Son Hills was, have been, right? Sorry. Right. But I think um, if they were going to aim to to make the game like the, like PT was, um just an extended version of it i think they'd run into the the issue that outlast has in that Mm. you can't fit an eight hour game into that kind of content there's not enough that you can what if it wasn't an eight hour game though i see your point but what if it wasn't what if it took the eight hours to complete a game but what if it was not really like pt you can beat it very quickly you know, Metal Gear sure. Solid Ground Zeroes, you can beat that in five minutes. Well, if you I think that's to. why I, I think that's why PT works. 
Yeah. Is because it's short. I and mean, looped. yeah. Well, we, I, we kind of touched on this, but I, I hope that regardless of whether or not Silent Hill is going to be, you know, first person, third person like this or not, like, I hope that this obscurity that was in the, the uh, PT was, is not going to be in the main game. I no. hope that it's more, because it's, the puzzles are not logical. You know what I mean? It's like stand here, wait for the chime, and then watch walk exactly ten steps until. Mm. Well, you're thinking about that. What about like the official? Like I think of that as something added to the game. What about the, the game itself, the teaser itself? Yeah, like, all the puzzles. I you know I I wouldn't I don't even consider them puzzles. I thought they worked very well. Well, it was just there were a couple times where like even though I'd played through it twice at that point. When we were playing it today, um, there were still points that we got to where we couldn't quite figure out how to progress. And like you said, if I, you know, if I hadn't been there to give you hints, and if I hadn't had somebody there to give me hints when I beat it the first time, like how long would you have been stuck there? Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think it just comes down to you know you're in this tight area, you are you are going to be forced to look around, and I think ultimately you would have found it. Yeah, it's just, I hope that it's more based in logic, not like you look at this one thing long enough. Okay, and then, I see what you're saying. Or I from, see. like when I first played it, when you pick up the flashlight in the bathroom, yeah, it like wouldn't work for me because I didn't look at it at the right angle. Yeah, yeah. I had yeah. the same okay. thing happen. Yeah. And I was stuck there for like 20 minutes trying to figure out how to pick up the goddamn flashlight. Um, and... <laughs> You know, that, at some point, I I'm see. like, this is no longer scary because I keep hearing the audio loop. and Exactly. the You know, you start to see the seams of it. Yeah. Um, I think they that's... just polish that up, and then there you go. Right. I think that's where, like, this gets away with it because it's a free teaser. If mm-hmm. you had to pay 10 bucks for this or something, I feel like we'd hear a lot more criticism for stuff like that. Well, and I think that, you know, one thing that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is that it, it's called a playable teaser. Like, they're identifying that it's a playable trailer. So it's not really meant to be this really in-depth, you know, game so well, much polished. as it... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even know, because I think it's pretty polished overall. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, work out the kinks like that. Yeah, but more what I mean is that, like, I don't think you're... You know, they didn't intend for you to have agency when you're playing it. They intended for you to just kind of be playing like you'd watch a trailer, except you're controlling it. Yeah, for sure. I But my point is that if they have the same obscurity to the, like, progressing the narrative in the actual game, I feel like that's going to run into backlash from some fans who pay for it and are unable to progress because they just can't. I'm sure. We'll just the buy the strategy won't... guide for twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it won't be as bad as a backlash, but with the past Silent Hill games, I mean, look at the few past Silent Hill games. They yeah. haven't been very well. I think that the obscurity was in there primarily because they wanted this to be something that you know, because at a certain point, <clears throat> you can get a hint that's written in eight different languages. <laughs> and from what I understand, their intention was that it was going to be this global effort. Some of it's written in German, some of it's written in Italian, and I think some of it's written in like Latin. And how could you not admire that? It, well, I, I sort of agree with you. Like They're willing to go all the way down the rabbit hole. 
you know, they're willing to go the length with this thing as far as making the vision that they had. Um, and in a sense, it did. It kind of is global. The internet is a global thing. Well, so. and that's true. And it's been through the collective efforts of people on the internet. Like I was reading this article about this dude who has like spent hours and hours poring over the details of this thing to try to like crack it for real, as opposed to just you know stumbling his way to the ending. Yeah. Um, and I think that they sort of achieved what they wanted. They created this, you know dialogue between people like you know disparate people that are all teaming up to figure it out i mean good or bad publicity is good publicity (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i'm with you adam you know they i hope that the i hope that when silent hill comes out that the gameplay is the same but that they as far as the first person in the atmosphere but that it's a much more sort of logical progression of how you play it (laughs) i agree i agree with that um but this but, is fucking awesome. <laughs> Shane Payne has spoken. Um, but as far as, uh, yeah, like a, a marketing stunt and like, it's so awesome that you get to play the game before it was even officially announced. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. more games need to do that. Like this is, you know, they're sort of taking the stance of like, we don't need to ride a hype train when we can just let you play it. <laughs> You know, and you can you, actually you, experience you build that it. train yourself. Yeah, you build our hype train for us. <laughs> yeah, and they, we'll be, we have, we have. We'll be seeing things like this as pre-order bonuses. Well, like Hitman uh, Absolution had that playable sniper challenge, which was yes, by far the best did. part of that game. <laughs> um, well, uh, do we have anything else we want to add to the PT discussion? I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up for this episode of Arbitrary Analysis. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, If you want to leave us any comments, feel free to do so on our Facebook. Uh, It's facebook.com slash likearbitraryanalysis. You could do so on SoundCloud, or uh, if you want to leave us some feedback on iTunes, it would be much appreciated. But yeah, uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for joining me, Adam and Shane.